Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. There are so many changes happening in the world today that we thought it would be valuable to create a special episode in our Dev Life series. While many, if not all of us, are working from home, it's more important than ever that we prioritize connecting as humans. How we communicate and interact with each other right now has the potential to affect the duration and impact of this global pandemic. Internally, at Heroku and Salesforce, we have been discussing how we can best support each other and how we can best support others around the world. Today, we wanted to share some of that discussion with you through Codish. We hope this episode leaves you with an idea, some inspiration, or even just a smile and some hope. Hello and welcome to Codish. My name is Charlie Gleason and I am uh, a designer at uh, Heroku and at Salesforce. And uh, I am joined today for a, a very special episode um, of Codish. It's, it's, uh, we're living in unprecedented times and I think a lot of us are grappling with a really similar set of um, complicated and scary feelings and it's okay to feel like that. I'm joined today by Margaret Francis, who uh, is the SVP uh, of Platform Data Services and uh, former SVP of Product and GM at Heroku. And uh, we had an internal conference a couple of weeks ago, which was awesome. And um, Margaret uh, gave a presentation and and it kind of uh, veered into a lot more um, of the topics that we're going to cover today, um, talking about the state of the world and, and, and how to survive it. So hello, Margaret. Thank you so much for asking me to do this, Charlie. It, it was very difficult to put together a professional presentation uh, to be given online to a couple hundred people and not preface it with some acknowledgement of the fact that the world is not okay right now. Things are um, really very difficult on, on many different levels, logistically, emotionally, um, medically for so many people. Mm. And... Um, you know, these small private griefs that we have because our everyday lives have been disrupted seem so petty, you know, um, when contrasted with uh, the health crises that other people are going through, other families are going through. And yet I feel, you know, we, we all have our own little tragedies to manage, you know, every day, given what's happening with COVID-19. Absolutely. And I suppose, you know, it's like, it's a sort of grief, I guess. And I don't think grief is a relative thing. I mean, what your your experience of this may on paper look very different than my experience, but it's all equal in the sense that we're all just people trying to understand this situation and trying to um, be empathetic and support each other and support our families and our friends and our communities. It is a bit of grief for a, uh, a world and a way of living that's changed um, beyond recognition over the past few weeks. Certainly in Northern California it has, and you're in London, I believe. So we are both in cities that have been, you know, in some form of, of lockdown or restricted movement or restricted activities for some weeks now. And I think that it's going to continue for some time based on our, our government's best estimates. But, uh, you know, at the same time, there are things that we, we also do to sort of carry on in, in the meantime. Certainly, <laughs> for those of us who have been in tech as long as I have, there have been ups, there have been downs, there have been, it has always been a chaotic ride um, kind of in the industry because so much changes all the time. You know, I have um, a few, I have a, I have a little bit of free time this afternoon and I can actually go follow up on some things that I've been meaning to investigate for some time. Uh, startups that are, are doing things that I'm really interested in because 
They support protocols that we might have um, at Heroku, at Salesforce, um, or their tools we might want to use like Figma or something like that. But honestly, um, the pace of business continues, even if at, at a reduced kind of velocity, um, and that is a little different than some ways than other crises that we've had in our industry before. So I've been working in, um, on what my mother calls on the internet for <laughs> decades now, which seems like bizarre to say, you know, yeah. having a boyfriend who went to the University of Freiburg in college and needing to talk to, talk to him on like IRC was, you know, kind of the most pressing first use case I had for the internet. Um, but since then, you know, we went through um, the the kind of first internet bubble, the, the dot-com um, collapse. And I, I remember at the time I was working for um, a digital transformation firm and I thought I had all kinds of money. And I remember um, watching the, the decimal points disappear from my bank account and thinking, well, that was really interesting. And now I've got to figure out what happens next. Yeah, it does feel, I mean, I think, um, especially because tech has, uh, it's an incredibly privileged uh, position in a lot of ways in terms of how much access we have to information, to um, tech literacy, uh, and also to communicate and the way that we kind of do our jobs. I think that the response um, for us has likely been different for other communities that maybe don't have those same access to those same things. But I think you really hit on something there with that idea that this even for an industry that has been very volatile is so unprecedented. And for companies that don't necessarily have a remote culture first, Heroku has like an incredible remote culture, but not every company does. It's, it's a huge thing to adjust to for, for our communities and for our, even all the way from coworkers through to, through to families, through to everyone else. It's an absolutely um, enormous adjustment. And I feel, uh, you know, I've got a good kind of, work wardrobe thing going where it's, it's, I, I call it my wardrobe mullet. It's business on the top and sweatpants <laughs> on the bottom all the time. These days, you know, at least I used to put on jeans and, and go into the office um, every now and then. And it was always a bit of a debate, like how comfortable will my shoes be? You know, will I wear a shirt <laughs> or will I wear, you know, the really comfy ones with, you know, no heels. And um, now we don't really have to do that. We, we can't really do that. We have to stay home to protect ourselves and our, our communities. Um, and a lot of those, those distinctions have collapsed. And it is actually so much less hard, I think, on adults and on people who are used to remote work and who've learned how to be effective on a Hangout or a Zoom or whatever your mm. you know, video conferencing technology is, who, who live on Slack, who live in text threads, who, who are already kind of fairly digitized. Um, but it's much harder on people who aren't. And frankly, it's very hard on my children. Um, I have two kids. They are 12 and 14. And they are just at that point where they need their peers more than any adult in their life. And they're reduced to Snapchatting, you know, in between classes. And, and you know, it's just not the right set of social interactions and support that they need at their phase of development. And we haven't figured out what all the substitutes are for that very, I think, let's call it 15 year period um, when, you know, five to 20, let's call it when what you really need most is your peers and not your parents. Yeah. I remember, I mean, I, 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 uh, I came out, uh, of the closet when I was quite young, I think I was like fourteen or fifteen, and my and my best mate did as well at the same time, and and it was like a huge revelation. And I remember us being like this little 
team, right? Like against the universe. It was like no one got us. Our parents didn't get us. Uh, our peers definitely didn't get us uh, at that time. I, was, I think it's changed a lot um, because I'm older than I think I realize I am. But the tools of communication we had um, weren't even remotely there yet. So I don't even know how we would have coped. But it became this thing where it was like, I didn't understand my parents. They didn't understand me. So I have a huge amount of empathy for this kind of shifting landscape now where parents are grappling with trying to cope with their own emotional response to this situation whilst still working, whilst uh, supporting in their family, whilst also homeschooling in some cases. Like it's a huge burden emotionally, uh, financially, you know, physically. All these things are kind of just dropped on top of this unit. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, I have a huge amount of empathy for what um, parents especially are going through. <laughs> well, um, I rather resent having been turned into a short order cook. You know, like I, <laughs> I cook rather well, but 21 meals in a row every week, you know, with not a lot of takeout options is really hard. And, you know, we're doing our best to, you know, support the local sushi place. My goodness, I, I, I couldn't, couldn't be more thankful for them right now. Uh, but this is this is just no one's idea of fun. Like I would I would I would absolutely trade my um, current champagne problems um, for you know some of my former champagne problems because at least we got a little bit more together out of the whole thing. Um, and together really matters during these crises. So the first dot com bubble I remember very well. I was. Um, at a, a, a digital kind of transformation agency. And I am still a member of alumni groups and attend happy hours and go to dinners and I'm friends with people um, that I went through that very real economic crisis with. And about 10 years after that, um, I had founded, co-founded a company called Scout Labs with uh, some, some dear friends who are still friends of mine and who have their own other startups now. And one of our investors went unexpectedly bank bankrupt during the mortgage crisis and a tranche of VC funding that we were anticipating would come and meet payroll did not arrive. And I vividly recall how we had to flee the building with no, you know, the rent was in arrears and repossessment people were coming to take all the things. And we piled our monitors and our equipment onto our chairs, rode them down the cargo elevator, <sighs> rolled our chairs and our monitors all the way over to the offices of our law firm, uh, Morris and Forrester, and set up camp in one of their conference rooms until we could sort of sort out the next step for that particular company. And, you know, we I, I remember it very vividly because we had to sit down as a management team and decide how much of our retirement savings we were going to put into the company to fund payroll for all of us to keep going, how much cash we had, how much we could pay. Um, we asked everybody who worked there to take a pay cut. We still had to let people go. It was a real economic disaster, you know, in some ways for mm. that company. And we ended up coming out the other end with a smaller workforce. We raised, um, you know, another round of capital to, to kind of bridge us through that. And we ultimately sold to lithium. But that was a real financial trial as well. And I think about all of the other small business owners and entrepreneurs who are out there and what they're going to have to go through after this kind of economic time of trouble has, has really assumed its final form. And it is going to be hard. It is going to be very hard. Um, to, to weather those storms and to feel that you are doing the humanistically right thing for the people that you work with and for um, and for your customers is just, it, it truly is hard. 
it it really is hard. And I still have very good friends and relationships from from that time as well. Um, and I'm still very much in touch with any number of the humans that I worked with at Scout Labs. And some of them actually work at Salesforce today. I think that the dot-com crash, uh, as an example, it, it, not to diminish the incredibly challenging time that that was for people, but it does breed a sort of human ingenuity. And, and um, I think one of the things I found really heartening through this whole experience has been the response that I've seen, not just from friends and family, but from business as well, that people are um, stepping up where they can and, and uh, supporting the people that work for them and their, their customers and their um, communities. What's it like uh, for you supporting products and you know working through this time? That is a really interesting uh, dilemma for all of us. Like how best do we engage with the world during this time? And what is the best way to be effective? And for me, it actually has been very much about the work. I would say that the week after Shelter in Place uh, went into effect, we reviewed our business continuity plan in great detail. And it was incredibly important to me and to our engineering leadership and to everyone else who, who works on the Heroku products, the Salesforce products, to understand that we have a business continuity plan, that we can keep our platform up and running, that we literally have made plans for how do we cope with reduced efficacy or absenteeism or loss mm -hmm. of internet connectivity. Um, in fact, you know, we really have a sort of, you know, uh, there's a section, I think, on the Salesforce website that details like all of the business continuity plans that we have for our products because we want people to be able to trust them and count on them and use them during a time of crisis, perhaps more even than during you know the regular run the business motion that that we are are all in. So it actually made me very engaged and proud that we had done that work, and I believe it was actually originally done in the case of Heroku. Um, using some kind of scenarios we derive from the H1N1 uh, health crisis. This is a motion that we have been through before, but at nothing like this kind of, of scale or, or I think uh, level of, of economic, um, you know, interruption. Uh, we, we really do actually want people to use our platform. And so scaling up things like um, our support for people who write in for, help to support community products, whether it's product mm. credits or whether it's advice or just kind of connecting people who can help each other. I've received inbound to my personal email to LinkedIn, uh, through LinkedIn, through all of the usual Heroku channels, the usual sales uh, force channels, and trying to improve our digital connectivity when we don't have the physical connectivity is really, in my opinion, very rewarding and important work. And uh, I don't want to, I try to balance my guidance to, to my teams with like, okay, I know that you've got to cook 21 meals a week and homeschool the children and that, you know, you haven't had any fun <laughs> you know? Sure. You know, in, in days. Uh, actually, <laughs> there is reward in, in, you know, engaging in your usual work or there should be, there should be. And I hope there is for others the way that there is for me. Yeah, and I will say, I mean, I think um, Salesforce has done an incredible job at uh, responding to this, both externally and internally, the support services that we've had made available to us, um, the communication, the understanding, the empathy has been 
beyond what even I um, expected from a company that uh, has a really great track record on that front. But I think one of the things that you touched on there on um, managing teams or having a team, you were once my manager and it was the best. Oh, <laughs> I just realised that. It's amazing. <laughs> I guess having having a team, there's, a, there's an extra kind of, I, I think that uh, for a manager, their team almost becomes part of their, part of their family, part of their work family at, at the very least. Um, so I'm, I'm curious like how uh, you've found approaching this from um, a team point of view. Well, I've tried to be extremely transparent about what is going on in my life to the point where my calendar says, you know, this is when I'm having lunch with my children. This is when I'm working on homeschooling. And I see a lot of other parents in particular uh, doing the same thing. This is when the grandparents are leaving. This is when the spring break is occurring. Even though we're staying home this year, um, sure. I'm going to need you know time off, and I really can't can't attend to work matters. And so we're really covering for each other and making sure that we communicate as as openly as we can about our real work situation and our real life situation. And I think that that is a very healthy dynamic. That's a healthy behavior. I hope that we take past this, this current public health crisis and in, into the world. One of the things that is so wonderful about Heroku and that I, I just knew like day one that I was going to be comfortable there, I walked in, you know, opened my laptop and set up all the accounts and you flip open the group calendar. And I could tell when everyone was going to their yoga teacher training or to the dentist or, you know, had blocked out when they actually started work or had I, you know, there were fathers who had, you know, daycare pickup noted in their in their calendars. And I thought, well, this is is a culture that is transparent because we're all trusted to contribute. We're all trusted contributors. We are all trusted team members. And I don't have to pretend that I'm not going to the dentist on Thursday morning for 90 minutes. Sure. Yeah. Like I can be a successful, you know, member of of this community. And I think that, uh, you know, the example that has been set for us by a lot of the executives on the, the Salesforce uh, leadership team has been fantastic as well in this regard. You know, children and dogs run in and out of the frame. There are personal objects. There's there's clutter. Sometimes there's chaos. The sound isn't perfect. The lighting's not great. And we are really focused on what matters, which is keeping our business um, kind of on a sound footing and our products in a good place so that mm. our customers can use them for what matters to them. And th that is, these are the right values, the best values that we can have in a time of ruthless kind of prioritization of what matters most. Yeah, absolutely. And I think actually that's uh, one thing that has really struck me in this whole experience. So I've worked remotely for about three years, so I am quite used to it, but this does feel different working remotely. And I think a big part of it is on one hand, it's almost like the um, the idea that I, I don't mind being at home all day. I quite like it. I hang out with my cats. I go to the gym. I go running. But as soon as you take away a couple of facets of that, you know, I can't go to the gym now. It's like, Oh gosh, I feel this this tension there, and I think that um, one of the things I've really loved has been uh, that vulnerability of seeing vignettes of people's lives that you wouldn't otherwise see, and people being a little bit more open with their spaces, uh, open with their um, how they're feeling, their experiences. I can't count the number of video calls I've done that have cats and babies in them, and I love cats and I love babies, so it's great. <laughs> And I know it's coming out of a really horrible thing, and, and and I don't want to downplay how serious the situation is, but I think that 
when you're looking for levity or you're looking for a connection. And I mean, people are have their lives going on at the same time as well. Like one of my team members is trying to close a, a, on his house and everything's been delayed and he has a newborn baby and that's been hard. And when we talk, I think there's a vulnerability in the way that we talk to each other about how we're feeling that we wouldn't necessarily have done before. And I think that's so important. Um, and I hope that's something that continues after this, after the dust settles of this kind of incredible, unprecedented bananas time is that hopefully some of that um, vulnerability and, and openness kind of continues because I think that it is worth uh, so much in the way that it helps us understand each other. Uh, I do too. Like Heroku in particular has always had a really open and collaborative kind of culture this way. And it is not unusual to see, you know, an SRE engineer doing a demo with a baby strapped to his belly. Like, this is normal for us. This is fine. I think no. the undoneness of it all now is, is what is a little bit more shocking. Because, you know, when you're used to remote work and you've got a good schedule and your daycare pickups are in your calendar, life's kind of chunking along quite normally. But now your wife is home and she's working remote from the next room and you can hear each other's calls. And there's, you know, this is, this is new and someone's got to get lunch and, you know, we're out, we're all out of our routine. We're all out of our routine, whether it was remote or in the office in ways that are extremely uncomfortable. Though I will say my sister uh, called me the other day and she said, what are you doing right now? And uh, why, don't, why don't you turn your camera on? And I said, well, I've just put leave-in conditioner in my hair. And she <laughs> said, you know, she's like, and she's like, and what are, well, you know, what is that rustling noise? And I was like, well, I, I'm in my garage and like I'm moving a box around because I want to, I want to fix up my home office out there. And she said, Margaret, it, it would take a pandemic for you to use a beauty product that required more than three seconds or clean your garage. That That's exactly <laughs> what it would take. So things are, are more undone than they usually are um, in, in all of our lives in terms of, you know, how we look and how we feel and the the pleasure and the um, comfort that we get from routines that take us out of our homes. It's just that part is really hard. And the home haircut views have been absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening in your life on Hangouts right now, but yesterday I uh, we had a staff meeting. They were talking about our product roadmap for the year and kind of being really thoughtful about what we commit to in a time of reduced operational, um, you know, execution capacity. And um, one of my product managers who had, had really been, been looking very seventies, you know, he, he'd gotten, <laughs> gotten quite long haired over the, the past few weeks appeared with an absolutely military, almost buzz cut. And, you know, thought that perhaps it would be better if he did not have any more home haircuts, you know, until the pandemic was over because the, the, the it was such a subject of, of of tension between himself and his girlfriend getting it done that he he just thought in the, you know, for domestic harmony, it would be better if they didn't cut each other's hair anymore. Um, but oh everyone's on either very short or very long these days, or they're like me and they've got leave-in conditioner in there still because they forgot to take it out, you know. <laughs> Two nights ago, my husband was like, oh, I'm going to cut your hair. And I thought we've discovered two things about each other in this experience. One is that um, he can't cut hair. And the other is that um, I am not a bad cook because of a lack of practice. I just cannot <laughs> cook. But it was like, it was an absolute bloodbath. He was trying to, and, he, and it was all, I looked sort of almost Danny DeVito-esque. It was like sort of peeking at the side and then the other side was gone. And then he was like, does that look all right? And I thought, are we looking at the same head? And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is such a weird, 
weird experience. And uh, in a way, it was, I mean, it's still like the funniest thing that's ever happened, but I, it is so short. It's like proper crew car. It's outrageous. <laughs> proper buzz cut, I should say. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I think that's, I mean, one of the things that you kind of touched on there was this um, cleaning the garage. And I think that's, uh, it's funny the things that you kind of end up doing in the situ in these situations. But what what do you, I know? We both have like a real shared love of reading. But um, what kind of keeps you focused and feeling together and feeling kind of in control at the moment? Very few things make me feel in control at the moment. I, I can tell you some things I do to try and improve my sanity. And the first is I try to make the children laugh in the morning, um, whether it's a funny video or just their continued incredulity that I don't understand TikTok very well. The <laughs> digital habits of all of the people in my lives have come so much into focus. It's really interesting. Like I'm in a mad emailing relationship with the 85 year old man who lives two doors down. Like we email each other all the time. Um, I would text him, but I don't think he knows how. And the, the, the grandparent divide is real. So making sure that we actually have time to call them or Facebook portal them or FaceTime them or Skype them, What, depending on which grandparent you're talking about and what level of technological kind of sophistication they can manage, that helps us all feel connected and stay somewhat sane. Um, I feel very in touch with all of the food inventory in my house. And so <laughs> I've made a list of all the things that we currently have the ingredients for and put it on the refrigerator you know, it's, it's tiramisu, it's, it's doll, it's whatever, you know, the favorite things the children might be. And then they can go and sort of say, you know what, there's less spontaneity in knowing all the things in the house for the next week. But at least there can be this moment of joy in thinking about what selection I make here or and eating the perfect pear when it's perfect, instead of letting it go bad. And, you know, having wow. these little moments of anticipation and joy are very important in the day and we have to make them for ourselves because no one else is going to make them for us right now. I, I have two other things that I'm doing that I think give me a way to think about the world. The first is I'm currently speaking to you from one of my impromptu desk locations, which is a giant stack of books. And people make fun of me because I do love to read. And I have a lot of books, more than fit in the house or the garage at this point. It's kind of a problem. <laughs> but I walk around and I rotate them out so that when I have a moment between hangouts or whatever, I can kind of browse through things that I've known and loved. So I just rotated out a whole bunch of thrillers for a whole bunch of poetry and that was making me maudlin so i stopped with the poetry and now i've put in a bunch of books that uh i like because i love the images and they remind me of places i hope to go back to someday so there's there's an at for paris and there's all over coffee by paul madonna for very intimate views of san francisco and there's angkor and and the original uh tales from the loop uh, which is a really wonderful book by a Swedish photographer that's just super improbable. And an Atlas Obscura, um, which the the book spine details as an explorer's guide to the world's hidden wonders. And it's quite a funny book and, and I've had a very interesting one. So I might have to go for some humor soon, some, some Lincoln, <laughs> you know, uh, some Jerome K. Jerome, Three Men in a Boat, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful book. The other thing I will say is uh, I'm from a bit of a a prepper family. So I feel in some ways more 
prepared for this, you know, like I really spent a lot of time in my childhood, like shooting Folgers coffee cans on sticks in the woods. And, you know, we went to this special survivor store where you buy canned goods that are packaged to last, you know, these extra heavy cans and they, they last for years and years. And, you know, they, they sell books on how to make your own bow and arrow and shoot deer. And so all of this feels a little bit like, yes, I'm still reading my zombie apocalypse fiction because honestly, um, compared to some of the scenarios that are out there, this is this is all okay for the moment um, yeah. for those of us that are not in active, you know, medical crisis. And mm. um, anyone who wants the you know complete apocalyptic reading list or anything else should should find me on on another channel like LinkedIn, and I'll give you all of the best doomsday fiction because things are genuinely hard in some parts of the world, but not in uh, the places that you and I are, Charlie, not in London, not in San Francisco, not in Marin. And so I think the hardest thing is how do we figure out how to be useful to those people who have less resource? And I've not come up with a lot yet. Um, There's money you can give. There's blood you can give. That's still more of a local benefit um, in, in a lot of ways. And it's hard to find blood drives to spots. So it's mostly money. I think that I've been able to find mm-hmm. as a, a a way to to participate with the world that is farther than than my zip code. But if there are good ideas out there, uh, I would love to hear about them. Yeah, it's such a uh, it, it can feel really disempowering. I think as well because you're seeing it's such a flood, and I think the way we consume information um, is so relentless that you can almost feel overwhelmed by it. I certainly have. And I, uh, have found myself more emotional in the last few weeks. And I think, and I cry a lot for a human being, but I found myself more emotional, um, and feeling more kind of disempowered. And I think one thing that you touched on previously, I, I worked for a publishing company and I think books are an incredible, um, source of comfort in those times. But I also think that you kind of have to forgive yourself for feeling anxious or overwhelmed or, you know, and then and then focus on the action after that. So I think, I mean, <laughs> my favorite book of all time is The Stand by Stephen King, which is about <laughs> a pandemic. Those characters are like my, it's what I go to when I'm frustrated or I'm sad or I'm stressed. It's like just this book. And I was reading it the other day again because uh, it's just like a blanket. And halfway <laughs> through, I thought, do you know, I'm going to give it a break. <laughs> this feels on the nose. But I think that ultimately there is comfort in, uh, things that feel well, there's comfort in things that are comfortable, and there's also comfort in looking for ways that you can contribute, um, to your communities, be it financially, but also, um, one thing that I, one of our co workers is doing at the moment is building, um, an app for his local town to show which which small businesses are open, um, because a group of them have agreed that uh, people can use this app to ask people to cycle over to these places, get these things and bring them to their house if they can't um, get out there. And I think it's it's examples like that using our skills where possible. It's not always easy to find those kind of projects or to find people who are working on those things, but I think that having kind of an open mind to the things that you can contribute to, be it uh, financial or otherwise, is so important. Yeah, right now we're 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 trading, you know, sourdough starter, you know, through through holes in the fence and all of that. But I I have a little I have a a little bit of a notebook problem. I have like tiny notebooks in in all my pockets and purses, and I find something about writing things down in notebooks just encodes that information differently in my mind. And so I often have one that's sort of junky and filled with current work things, and then I have like a tiny precious one that's 
like the tiny moleskin that you use the really nice pen in and it's for, you know, the deeper thoughts. In that one, I, I think I think a lot about the design considerations that we will have as product managers, product creators, makers of things after COVID-19. Um, and a couple of things spring to mind here. The first is um, supply chain resilience. Supply chain resilience. I, I have this ongoing eternal debate with my father over whether or not um, as a country, the United States should be engaged in food production. He's like, well, you know, it's just simply easier to import it from other places. And and I'm like, well, you're you're discounting, you know, the availability of cheap energy and the importance of resilience in, in the food supply chain. And, you know, it turns out our grocery supply chain is pretty good right now. Um, but supply chain resilience is always a thing, not just having a good and efficient one, but really thinking about where you get all of your constituent materials from to make the thing that you want to make. Any any home chef knows that, you know, everything falls apart if you don't have saffron at the right minute. Um, so this is a, a thing we'll all be thinking about, as will, I think, designing for public health. Mm. You know, this has been an ongoing fetish of mine. Like, I've never liked touching, you know, the, the big elevator keypad. And now we've just given the universe this entire dose of paranoia around shared space, shared air, shared touch in a way mm. that I think will profoundly change the design of things. Like think about the time when you accidentally picked up the wrong earbuds and then felt like you couldn't possibly get your ears clean enough afterwards. <laughs> I mean, we like some of us were always a little more fetishistic about that than others, but now we have a real public discourse that needs to happen here. Um, I heard Trevor Noah talking about getting in the elevator alone and staying alone, like the doors open and other people see you in there and they don't get in and that that's a deliberate decision that he mm. and the inhabitants of his New York City, you know, apartment building have made. And we've all had that moment coming back to the office from lunch or something, the elevator doors open and you're like, I actually don't want to be in that elevator with all those people. It's just too much smell or crowding mm. or touch or whatever. And I don't want that. And now I think we're going to have to think about that in a more systematic and public health oriented way. Ventilation on planes, air filtration on planes, all kinds of things that we will be thinking about more deeply after this, hopefully for the improvement of our shared world, because it turns out it is a very shared world and money and distance and class and education will really not protect you in the end from that shared human mm. experience we're all in. Yeah, that's such a good point. I think that the way that we uh, approach so many services as well, like how do you get food to your house? Uh, and especially in big cities, that's maybe easier, but there's certain patterns that we have in the way that we consume services. How do you get to the doctor? How do you get advice about your health. Uh, England has the NHS, which is a public health service, but that's certainly feeling strained. And so people are trying to create ways to reduce that strain, but then it's kind of like, where, well, where do you get advice without overwhelming things? So I think uh, it's, it's, it's such a challenge to kind of feel like I want to fix everything all at once. And I think that this is going to be a really long process while people discover. And hopefully as well, I think this is kind of on, on another note, changing the face of creativity and how we express ourselves, you know, more and more, every single person I know has been using uh, video calls more and talking more. I've had friends from Australia where I'm originally from 
even though I have the world's weirdest accent, uh, who have rung me, who I haven't spoken to in years. I am a very failed musician, so I've been live streaming terrible, terrible sets. And friends have been live streaming comedy and doing pub quizzes online. And if video calls ever needed a, a push to become mainstream and to become normalized, this was it. And I'm so curious about how these tools after we become familiar with them, after remote work we become familiar with, after um, the way that we uh, communicate with each other changes, what the long-term effects of that will be. Because it feels like we were kind of sold a dream of of the internet as being able to um, revolutionize society, in, in, and it has in many ways, but there's been these pieces of it that have never quite gotten over the line. And so I'm really curious about how the longer-term implications, once this stuff kind of gets, uh, becomes the new normal. Yes, and there's a good deal of systems thinking that we will have to revisit. The the ability to deliver schooling or medical advice via the internet and the digital world varies pretty widely by mm. you know, societal configuration and economic access. So you, you take a look at, we have um, a, a good portion of our uh, workforce at Salesforce in India, and they are accustomed to going to the office for reliable internet because it is not readily available at home. So the assumption that, you know, you can send all of your white collar workers who write code for a living home and enable them to be effective there by sending an office chair, you know, is not going to work in that particular society. Or what about the children who do not have access to even that online learning that their schools are scrambling to provide right now because we haven't necessarily provided all the devices for the children or all of the access that their homes would need to enable them to take um, you know advantage of that this is a genuine you know challenge to the, mm. the the nature of our civil society so there's some real systems thinking that i think we're going to have to do i mean why does it take a pandemic to get the new york city subway cars cleaned and and the japanese <laughs> yeah. don't understand that right like there is a cleaning crew crew that rolls through the tokyo express you know um the, the narita express you know every end minutes on a schedule and make sure that it's you know relatively sanitary and it is a giant cultural gulf between um, you know, this country and theirs that we don't do the same thing. It's it's just not even understandable, I think, by them that people wouldn't wouldn't clean, you know, public transit things, um, you know, more regularly. Uh, and mm. and uh, yeah, so there's there's a lot of uh, I think um, systems level considerations that we as a society will have to think through in the wake of this because it turns out that the best way to keep everybody safe is for everybody to be safe to start with. And to be on a relatively equal footing for access to healthcare and the digital, you know, world and um, of, for of work and school, if if we actually were at a better baseline, then we would not see so much pain in adjustment and so much inequality in health result now. And that is a real think piece for the future. Yeah, and I do hope that it creates lasting change. I think one of the one of the things that is really I saw a tweet today, which I'm going to like paraphrase, um, which was about the idea that we're putting out all of these safety nets and we're building up these these support networks for people, and and it's kind of like, well, what happens afterwards? Do we take that away and just say, don't worry, you've got the Olympics again? Like it feels like this stuff is being put in place to that is taking the the, the pressure off individuals in our society and some of the most vulnerable members of our society and how do we maintain 
those safety nets for people so that they don't have to, like you say, it's like the best baseline is is to be at a good baseline to yeah. start with. So I think, yeah, it's it's a huge thing to kind of consider that that. And it's, I mean, I'm sure there will be many incredible conversations and um, outcomes from this, I hope, uh, that people start having. I hope so too. You know, in the meantime, there's a lot of newfound appreciation I have for like all the little things that make my life really wonderful. You know, the, the company of my family, the presence of, honestly, the internet, the presence of um, the of all of my friends and community digitally is an immense help in this time relative to, um, you know, other major public health crises that have unfolded without these communications technologies. I am learning to love my tiny house. I love that it has so many physical books and art supplies and board games in it. One of the, the last things that we did actually before uh, we had to stop going outside was a uh, stop at the local art supply store and we were out of brush cleaner and the children liked to paint and we we couldn't possibly, you know, do anything in acrylic without you know, the right <laughs> brush cleaning supplies. So, we've, we, you know, we stocked up there um, on that and some, some watercolor paper, which was also sorely needed. So there are so many amazing little miracles of daily life that are close to home. Um, we walk around the neighborhood and we photograph plants and then people come home and draw pictures of them or paint or sketch or create graphic novels, depending on, you know, which, which, which bedroom you, you, uh, you look at because each of us has our own style of drawing. It's not so bad in some ways to stop out of the daily life that I spent so much time commuting in and really enjoy my garden in which everything is blooming there's a lot to love. There's a lot to love in being close to home right now. Um, so I am finding a lot of joy in that where I can't go out. Though I have to tell you, someday I'm going to put on a dress and a cute pair of shoes and go eat sushi and boogie all night. And I will be just delighted to do that. I don't know what year it will be. I don't know when it will happen, <laughs> but I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> we had a pajama party at my mate's place. I think we it finished like at dawn and it was just the wildest party and we keep talking about how when when this is all over we are going to have a party. Oh, <laughs> like, we're going to blow that out of the water. Yeah, my Birmingham tribe had a wonderful virtual party last night and the funny or was it two nights ago? I've lost. It's it's March 37th, right? So <laughs> it was at the end of a hectic day and it was hangout after hangout after hangout after hangout. And we all showed up wearing our Burning Man gear at seven o'clock in our kitchens. So there were hats, there were vests, there were goggles, there were earrings, there were sparkles and sequins. And it was just, and, you know, we all had to put in our pictures from the playas, our background, and imaginatively place ourselves in the space where we felt free and had to do that for, for 60 minutes to celebrate the birthday of a friend. And it was completely joyful and wonderful. And mm. so there are those moments that um, I think we can all take present time pleasure and energy from during this this really unprecedented moment. It's such a good point. I have had such a great time chatting to you and I have so much uh, respect for the way that you are approaching this situation and, and uh, the way that you're finding comfort and joy and hope in in those like in those little moments in those little things that we do is there any other advice that you might have or any other closing thoughts for anyone listening out there i think that 
We will forever after be grateful when we see our friends and family in person in a way that we we were perhaps taking for granted before. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and uh, and to uh, and for sharing with us. It uh, it is beyond appreciated. Thank you for chatting with me too, Charlie. And to everyone listening, thank you for taking the time to uh, tune into Codish. Um, look after yourselves. Look after each other. Stay safe and stay healthy. And thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish Podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts.